Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Then reduction to methamphetamine eliminates... Which chiral center is it again? Because I forgot. Come on. Help me out. Professor! Is that, is that what you want? This, this short order cook... Conversations about collaboration, episode 49. Dr. Peter Capelli joins me. He is the George W. Taylor Professor of Management at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, and he's the author of a new book, The Future of the Office, Work from Home, Remote Work, and the Hard Choices We All Face. We talk about the difficulties of hybrid work, how it may impact cities and local businesses, and the challenges of onboarding new employees. Let's rock and roll. Professor, where does this pod find you? Uh, today, I am on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, about an hour south, uh, or so south of Philadelphia. Well, let's bust right into it. Congratulations on the new book. Very timely. And I want to unpack a lot of what you're, what's in there. But before we get to the book, I recently read a Wall Street Journal piece that you wrote about the difficulty of hybrid work. I'm completely with you. If everyone's on equal playing field, remote or in person, in a way, it's easier. That doesn't mean that management's easy or any of the problems associated with this, but talk a little bit about the complexities and the pressures to get back to the office, given human nature. Yeah, well, you know, I think that this is a really interesting moment. Um, you know, there's, we hear so much from the media community around managing people about this is the new reality, the next new fill in the blank, you know, and, and most of them never happen. Um, the new order. But this time we're facing something which is really a big deal and we can't duck it. You know, are we going to bring everybody back or or not? Right. And it's also quite different from the pandemic period itself, which is the first complication to think about when you're making decisions about coming back to the office. The way things worked during the pandemic are unlikely to be the way things will work after the pandemic with respect to working from home, right? So right now, as you said, um, most everybody in the offices were, was working from home and many people still are, and not by choice, right? The employer said, everybody go. And so everybody's at home. It's a kind of level playing field. We got to figure out how to make Zoom work, all that kind of stuff. There's also a bunch of other things that were going on, right? We were pulling together in the face of a crisis. We were all in this together inside the organizations. It was causing people to probably perform better than they might in other circumstances. So let's say the pandemic actually ends at some point and we can all go back to the office. If we go back to the office uh, and give people the opportunity to work from home, now it's quite a different deal, right? If you are a person who raises your hand and says, I want to go home, uh, and your colleagues are in the office, it's no longer a level playing field, right? Uh, your colleagues in the office are going to get more attention. The boss knows who they are. If she has to call on somebody from help, the person who's right there gets it. All the informal stuff happens in person. It doesn't happen remotely. And the other interesting thing uh, about working from home is we actually studied it for a long time, right? And you'll recall the telework 
kind of boom of around 1999 and 2000, uh, where we basically made many of the same arguments people are making now. Hey, you could save a lot of money on real estate by getting rid of the offices and having people work remotely. And it didn't work out that well. And particularly, it didn't work out well for the people working remotely. Their promotion rates were worse. They didn't do as well in their jobs. And we have all kinds of explanations that are perfectly sensible as to why, right? So, you know, in terms of thinking about this going forward, we have a problem because lots of employees think, why can't we just keep working from home? Uh, It seemed to be going fine. And then you've got employers, some of them who think, maybe it didn't go so well and we want to get everybody back or, you know, this was okay in the short term. And I think some of this is kind of just a failure on each side to understand what the reality looks like going forward and, and to communicate it. Is it fair to say that the pandemic has caused many, if not all of us to reprioritize as I'm fond of saying pre COVID our personal lives revolved around work. And now that we've had a taste for 18 months, give or take, of our work lives revolving around our personal lives, we want more of that. Am I off base? Yeah, it's a really interesting question as to why people want to work more from home. And, you know, the first point is not everybody does, right? So if you look at the survey data, about a third of people, depending on the survey, want to go back to the office. Um, there's a smaller number, maybe 10%, 15, who want to be permanently out of the office. You know, they want to move to Wyoming and, you know, hang out in a cabin and work there. Most people would like to have uh, some choice over the matter. Um, but what we know about working from home during the pandemic is, you know, people are also pretty stressed out uh, by it. Hours of work actually appeared to be greater. Uh, in particular, the boundary between work and non-work sort of just disappeared, right? One of the things we found is lots more work going on after the dinner hour than, than ever before. So, you know, it's a little shift. Absolutely. The second shift, right? So, you know, it's a really interesting question as to what people liked about it more. You know, my own sense is what people liked about it, even though they were working longer is they had greater control over their time and the employers were effectively trusting them. And I think one of the things I worry about for people who are working from home and want to keep doing it is it's not clear all the employers are going to keep trusting them. You know, we've seen this big rolling out of monitoring software uh, and a lot of spending on that, which if you actually use that, as you know, this software basically just tells whether you're sitting at your desk And that's exactly what people don't want to be doing if you're working from home, you know, take a break, take the dog for the walk, come back, get your work done, then greet the kids, et cetera. The software monitors whether you're sitting there at your desk. And if you're going to sit at your desk at home, it's not clear it's that much better for you, right? So, you know, the it depends answer is the right one here. And we talk about wanting to work from home depends on what we mean by working from home, whether people, I think, will really want to do it or not. So I'm not so sure people's preference just changed as much as they saw a reality that they liked. How much of that reality was simply being home? How much of it was having your employer trust you and give you discretion over what you got done when? Because you could do that latter part in the office as well. So sorting those out is a little tricky. And I think that's part of why this whole question is so complicated is unpacking the different aspects. 
Yeah. In the book, you write how the genie is out of the bottle. And I'm with you. I think that we're seeing a major shift for employee empowerment. So before, let's say you and I are both Cornell graduates, if I lived in Ithaca and needed to be in the office, there were really only so many places for me to go. Right. But now if my employer says you need to be in Ithaca, but there are thousands or more companies that say, we don't care where you are. Yeah. Doesn't that potentially give someone like me more power, all things being equal? Yeah, you would think so. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it gives the employer more power too, right? Because the employer says, well, you know, Phil's pretty important here and he wants to work anywhere. So, okay, that's fine. But, you know, there's a bunch of other people who also are willing to work anywhere and some of them are cheaper. Mm. So, you know, it does give us access to more employers. It also gives employers more access to more people. And the boundary now is no longer in the U.S. either. You don't even have to be a U.S. citizen uh, to be a U.S. employee. As long as your work isn't being done in the U.S., you could hire somebody in India to do your IT work. They could be a U.S. employee, not a contractor. You could manage them as an employee uh, from the U.S., and you don't have to go through visa problems and all that sort of stuff, right? So um, I think I would bet, actually, it gives the employer more power than it gives the employee if they actually went to a full-on, you could work remotely anywhere. Hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned the logistics of hiring someone outside of the country. I was just listening to a podcast yesterday called Deep Collaboration, and the head of the company remote.com was on, and that company specifically aids companies in dealing with what we used to call expats or FSEs, because there are so many challenges with getting the paperwork through and fighting all the bureaucracy. I think there are up to 60 countries with plans to do more, but that is to me an interesting growth industry. If you can, to use your term, uh, find a global labor market, then there may be logistics, even if it is mostly remote, because occasionally you might want to see someone for an annual get together or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think the question there, which I'm not so clear about myself, is um, if you're working remotely permanently, why are you an employee at all? Uh, I could imagine the CFO saying, oh, just make her an independent contractor. Mm. Right? It's cheaper. We don't have to worry about uh, the laws. Uh, governing employment, for example. We don't have to pay as many taxes. We push a lot of problems off onto them. Uh, why not just be a contractor? If you're an employee, you know the great advantage of having employees is that you can tell them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. And uh, you can change in a heartbeat what you want them to do. If it's a contractor, you got a contract, right? And at least unless you're violating the law, right? Um, you can't tell them how to do what they're doing. Uh, you can tell them what you want done and you can't control their time, right? Um, now that gets violated a lot, but that's sure. actually Uber, what the law- FedEx, uh, Amazon with the drivers. I mean, as someone who knows a little bit about labor relations, it is interesting to me how these independent contractors really aren't that independent at all. Uber, your boss yeah. is an algorithm. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you don't have to come to work, but they have, as you know, all sorts of bells and whistles to get you to, you know, yeah, to nudge you along. Right, right. right. But it also reveals that they have to find ways to nudge you because they can't directly tell you what, what to do. I mean, that would be way too far over the line, you know? Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's another question the employers have got to start thinking about is, you know, do we really want people to work remotely? It's pretty hard to manage somebody 
if you never see them? And if we let them work remotely, why are they employees at all? I think that's you know, what would really worry me if I was an employee and my boss said, would you like to work from home permanently? You know, I'm, I'm not so sure I would jump at that opportunity, you know, especially if I'm the only one the boss says that to. I'm not <laughs> sure, sure. That, that that is such a great thing. And I think the odds are you might end up as an independent contractor. Well, that's a perfect segue to another question I had. In the book, you write about um, onboarding challenges, uh, one of which is safety. And we know now that this isn't something that went on for a month or two. You've got employers that in some cases have hired dozens or hundreds of people without ever having met them before. Uh, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the future of onboarding, or at least some of the issues that companies ought to be thinking about. Yeah. Well, that's a great point because you know the discussion right now and the experience that's driving everything is the experience of people who started working remotely at the beginning of the pandemic, that is, they were already employees. And most of them had been employees in their organization for a while. And most of the workforce has been employees someplace for a while. So they know what it means to be an employee. They probably know their organization very well. Um, they know their colleagues very well. Working remotely is not that hard. You know, you know everybody. Um, and you can call them up probably or Zoom them. And, you know, you know a lot. If you've just been hired during the pandemic, you know, you've never seen your coworkers, quite likely. You don't know them. You don't know the place. Uh, it's a really, really different experience. Uh, I imagine if it was new hires who were driving the discussion rather than people who had been around for a long time, mm. we would have a very different view about whether we wanted to work from home. And, you know, this is also true uh, for younger people just starting out. I mean, could you imagine that you took a job in New York City, let's say, and uh, you know you're 22 or you finished business school and you're 28 or something like that. You got this job in New York City, and your employer says, "Would you like to work out of your apartment?" Uh, no, right? You got a tiny little apartment, Our and the whole roommates. reason to be in New York, right. yeah, the whole reason to be in New York is to meet people, and you're going to be in your apartment the whole time. It would be a disaster. Right. So, you know, it's just a reminder that people feel quite differently about this. And it's not clear that there is really an average response that is sensible. And that raises another question. Okay. So you say, okay, we're going to give everybody choice. All right. Well, let's think about how we're going to manage that, where you've got some people in the office, some people at home, uh, everybody on their own schedule. You know, let's hold a meeting when everybody's here. Well, good luck with that if right. everybody's on their own schedule, right? So, yeah, yeah I thinking do know that, through these things, the issue. I do know that some companies mandate core work hours, but to your point, depending on where you live, if it is truly global, good luck with that as well. It's one thing if some people are in New York and some people are in the Midwest and some people are in California, you could find a four hour yep. block. It's another thing if people are in Belarus. Yeah. Right. And uh, if you think even what some of the companies are, are doing in Silicon Valley, I forgot which ones, maybe Google has done this, I think as well. They've designated certain days as in the office days. And you can take, I think it was Tuesday and Thursday were the days you could work from home. Well, again, the reason people like working from home is because of the control it gives them so that they can be control at, at home when they need to be, when something is happening. If you take that away from me and you can say, well, you can only be home on Tuesday and Thursday, but my kids have daycare that ends early on Monday and Wednesday. It doesn't help me at all. And similarly, if we say, you know, we got an agile project team here and it just happens that we're running into a problem 
Monday night and Tuesday, you know, is when we're trying to fix this, but everybody's going to be home on Tuesday. That doesn't help you either, right? So flexibility uh, is what people want, but flexibility becomes extremely difficult and trying to segment it up doesn't always solve the problems. I couldn't agree more. I want to switch gears for a little bit because towards the end of the book, you ask some really interesting questions about not just the implications for employees or independent contractors, but also for cities and suburbs and residual effects, right? Well, local businesses suffer because people don't go to the office as much to grab a bagel. I mean, there's so much here, but uh, say a little bit more about some of the really uncharted ground we're approaching here. Yeah, so you know, folks who know more about this than I do, urban studies, urban planning, that stuff, uh, are quite worried about this issue. And you know, commercial real estate business quite worried about this, right? Uh, if you say, for example, we're going to work from home just one day a week, okay, um, one day a week, that means one fifth the lunches, um, one fifth maybe the hanging around dinners, one fifth the days people are shopping. If you take you know, 20% hit on those businesses, you know, it leaves a mark. If you say, okay, um, we're not going to do that, but we're going to let 10% of our people work remotely. You know, what happens then? They never come into the office. You know, those 10% of the people, they're never there to shop. They're never there for dinners. And you know what? They don't have to live there either, right? Uh, that's the one you, you hear the most about, the concern that people are going to bail out of, of cities. But I don't think that's true, actually. I, I think the places that are the most vulnerable are the exurbs, you know, just outside the cities, these edge cities that have grown up like around Dallas, you know, and in Philadelphia, it is King of Prussia, Conshohocken. It's Tyson's Corners outside of Washington. You know, there's a lot of office space there, and people commute from various places to there from Washington, D.C., out to the burbs. Philadelphia, there's more traffic from Philly out to the burbs now, commuter traffic to jobs out there than there is in the city. Those places are really in trouble. You know, there's no reason, I'm sorry, Chamber of Commerce from Tyson's Corners. <laughs> no, there's no reason to live in Tyson's Corners if you don't work there. And so if you could work anywhere, would people still live in New York City? Yes. Would people still live in San Francisco? Yes. Would people still live in the big cities? Probably. Um, there maybe are more people who will go to Wyoming and Montana, uh, but where they're not going to be is the suburbs. Why bother, right? Suburbs are only there because of the location of the work. And if you could work anywhere, those things disappear. The edge cities disappear, right? Um, so, you know, it's not it's not trivial. Now, do I think that'll actually happen? No, I don't. Um, but will those places take a hit if we open up remote work? Probably will. Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. And I feel like I know a decent amount about it. But every time I read an article or a book or, or talk to someone like yourself, I feel like I learn more. I'll get you out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? This is so embarrassing, right? Because I don't read a lot of uh, of management books, uh, and you know, part of the reason is because we're just in such a different planet in the academic world. You know, as you'll recall, you know, we're thinking about uh, things that are more true uh, that we are sure about, rather than things that might be true, and rather than things that are normative. Here's what you should do. We're not thinking about that stuff very much. So I'm reading novels. You know, I mean, that's oh, they count too. I spend my time. Oh, it doesn't have to yeah, be management, right? So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I'm trying to remember the one I just finished. I can't remember. Um, that's the beauty of reading for pleasure, right? Is you don't have to remember it and write them down. But uh, yeah, I would get in a lot of trouble with some of my author yeah. friends if I said that uh, fiction doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't want to say that. I've been reading Japanese novels. That's the that's the thing. Okay. Well, Professor, thanks so much for taking the time. Sure, my pleasure. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However... If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.